Hey, everybody, this is Richard Deitch, and welcome to the Sports Media Podcast. My producer, as always, is Terrence Malagone. Uh, this is a podcast I've been looking forward to. I think you're really going to find it interesting. We have, uh, we have four segments this week, and it's four different podcasts talking about their podcasts, how they do it, why they do it, uh, really sort of getting into the weeds on how they put it together, uh, what their content plans are, how they hope to grow it. And I think you're going to find this really interesting. We start with Conrad Thompson, who's the host of three immensely popular wrestling podcasts, Something to Wrestle With, Bruce Pitchard, 83 Weeks with Eric Bischoff, and What Happened When with Tony Schiavone. He's followed by Shereen Ahmad, who is one of the co-hosts of the Burn It All Down podcast, and that brings an intersectional feminist view to the biggest stories in sports. Following those guys, Emily Kaplan and Greg Wyshynski, they are the co-hosts of ESPN on Ice with Wyshynski and Kaplan. And if you're a hockey fan, you know that Greg Wyshynski has been in the podcast space for a while. He also co-hosts the Puck Soup podcast. And then we finish up with Stephen Bennett, who is the host of the Buffalo-based podcast, The Sportscasters. And I give a shout out to Stephen. This podcast was his idea. He emailed me to say, it'd be really cool if you sort of did a podcast with different podcasters at sort of different levels of, uh, of downloads and sort of where they are in the podcast space. So awesome idea for him from him. And I, I, I appreciate that. And, uh, and he's in our anchor position there talking about uh, his podcast. And he's truly an independent. So Conrad Thompson followed by Shereen Ahmad followed by Emily Kaplan and Greg Wyshynski, and then followed by Stephen Bennett. If you're into podcasting, you really, really will find this interesting all coming up on the sports media podcast. Conrad Thompson is the co-host and founder of three of the most popular wrestling podcasts out there. Something to Wrestle with Bruce Pritchard, What Happened When with Tony Schiavone, and 83 Weeks with Eric Bischoff. Uh, anyone who listens to this podcast or follows me on Twitter knows how big a fan I am of Conrad Thompson. And we're going to go deep into Conrad's podcast box of gimmicks and his rumor <laughs> innuendo. So he will he will give us all his secrets. Conrad Thompson, welcome back with me for the, uh, for the third time on the Sports Media Podcast. Th- thanks for coming on. Hey, man. Thanks for thinking enough of me to have me on a second time. I can't believe I'm here. This is like uh, when, when the hosts go back for Saturday Night Live over and over and over. Like, do I get like a special <laughs> green jacket for appearance number five? Or what does that look like? Hey, let's, I'm just, let, let, you're just my version of Hogan. It's just a question of is this going to be <laughs> NWO Hogan, Hollywood Hogan, uh, you know, yellow and red Hogan. We'll see what happens here. Like um, all right. I so. Like while, while there's absolutely a lot of people on my podcast who are familiar with your podcast, uh, there will be people listening who don't know these three podcasts. So how would you describe your podcast to someone who's never listened to them? Uh, I sort of drive the ship and I have a wrestling legend as my co-host for each one. And we double down on wrestling nostalgia. So uh, a large portion of uh, Americans would say that they don't watch wrestling, but they used to. And I think it's something that a lot of us sort of grew up on. And then we grow out of it for lack of a better word. And we sort of just double down on that nostalgia, which is hot. You know, you go to the comic cons and you see that all of a sudden the power Rangers are having a resurgence and it's just the right age for those kids who grew up on it. Now they have, uh, you know, an expendable income and some free time to invest in their hobbies. And, and they're doing that. Well, wrestling fans are doing that now. So, we don't really talk about what's happening now. We usually talk about something that happened 20 or 30 years ago. 
You have three podcasts, as I mentioned. Uh, Something to wrestle with Bruce Pritchard. What happened when with Tony Schiavone in 83 weeks with Eric Bischoff? Let's take each of them individually. Um, when did you start each of them, and why did you start specifically each of them? Well, I was uh, doing a podcast with Ric Flair that was sort of all over the place. It was the traditional wrestling format where we had guests, but I didn't really want to focus on guests. I felt like your downloads would have you all over the place if you were a guest-reliant format where people would say, I don't know if I want to hear about that, or, oh, that's not that interesting to me. Uh, But I grew up a big Howard Stern fan, and I listened to Stern no matter who the guest was because I knew Stern would be funny. And the guest was just almost like a prop. You know, hey, it's good they're there, but uh, I'm really just listening for Howard's work. And that's what I wanted to create with these podcasts. So with Ric Flair, we had all these different radio elements like, you know, This Week in History. And, you know, we had a little advice section of the podcast, and it was all sort of tongue-in-cheek silliness. But then, you know, I befriended Bruce Pritchard, and I'll never forget, we were on my couch, and I said, hey, man, what happened when, and I asked about a time when a group of wrestlers jumped from one company to another, and I wasn't particularly interested in those guys individually. Just the idea that a group jumped at the same time was a bit of an anomaly, and I thought, hey, that's kind of fun. What happened there? What was the story? And he just started telling a story, and about an hour later, when he finished the story, I said, dude, this is a podcast. And I realized that that was way more interesting to me than him even talking to one of those guys who made the jump because it was the entire story in great detail from start to finish. And I realized, you know, that, hey, this could be a successful formula. So that became the format for something to wrestle. I I, I took about two weeks of nonstop pitching and selling to Bruce before he would finally acquiesce and say, okay, we'll do it. We launched our first episode the first weekend of August 2016. And we were off to the races. Uh, But that was the WWF side of things. And when wrestling was at its height in the late 90s, it was really a two-horse race between the WWF and WCW. And I wanted to be able to tell the WCW side of things. At the time, Eric Bischoff, who was the former president of WCW, was already doing another podcast. So I reached out to Tony Schiavone, who I felt like a lot like Bruce, was underexposed. You know, he hadn't done... Uh, a ton of interviews. He hadn't re- uh, written a tell-all book. Um, he had just sort of left wrestling in the rearview mirror, much like Bruce had. And I knew that Tony had an incredibly different sense of humor than what was presented on TV. He was a longtime announcer for wrestling companies, and he was almost like your TV dad, very vanilla. And in real life, that is not the case at all. He creates new cuss words and uses the F word like a comma. So it's a totally different experience. And someone I know suggested that he was really the Bob Saget of professional wrestling. So we debuted his show in January of 2017, and it proved to be a hit. And then eventually, when Eric Bischoff's other podcast came to a close, uh, he approached me, and we went back and forth about what it could look like. And so now I have three shows, but they're all very different uh, formats, although You know, they may have some similarities, certainly me being the biggest of them, uh, pardon the pun. They're they're definitely different shows for sure. Connor, one of the things that I think anyone who listens to your podcast really appreciates from you is just your research and preparation for each of these podcasts, which I would think just must take hours in terms of preparing, having a real sense of what the topics what the card what the storyline is so it's not just uh 
it's not just researching, let's say, the Dave Meltzer's newsletter, but it's watching the event and then discussing that event, obviously, with either Tony, Bruce, or Eric. How much time each week does it take you to prepare for these podcasts? You know, the uh, the whole process starts with really what I would call a data dump. So once I realize what the topic is going to be, and a lot of times that's chosen by the fans on a poll on social media, and we did that just as a way to you know, grow our social media presence, but also too, you know, it's like rule number one in selling, you know, sell them what they're buying. And the best way to do that is to just ask them, Hey, what do you guys want? And so once we know what the topic is, uh, I just scour the internet. I've got a wrestling observer subscription and a pro wrestling torch subscription. And those are really the two standards when it comes to industry trades or industry rags. And I just, you know, very quickly skim, several issues from both of those from around whatever the time period we're covering is. So if we were covering the Royal Rumble from 1999, that happens in January, I would probably take, you know, six weeks, maybe five weeks, maybe four weeks of issues leading up to that show. And then the two that followed. So we'll go through six issues of the torch, six issues of the observer. And if there is anything in particular that really stood out about that, I would look to see if, Anyone who was involved in that incident had written an autobiography and skimmed to that and then just compile all of this sort of copy paste style into a Google document. Uh, and then, you know, that will take my show, you know, from zero pages to 150 pages. And I'm going to try to trim that down to somewhere between 30 and 50. I've had some shorter. I've had some longer. But a typical show is 30 to 50 pages of data. And I'll go through it and sort of format it. Uh, so it's easy to navigate with either highlighted areas or bold or italics or underlined, just some sort of desktop publishing effort so where you can just scroll and very quickly sort of see where you are. And then I'll share that format with a co-host, uh, usually the day before, sometimes a few days before, so they have an opportunity to, to go through it and sort of jog their memory. And then they'll add in their notes. Uh, typically, they'll highlight those so those stand out to me. Uh, and that's their way of letting me know, hey, I've got more on this or, hey, I've got a story on this. Uh, and sometimes they'll do a line through and they'll say, I don't know anything about this. But if I think that's still you know, pertinent to the story and the listener might wonder, hey, why don't they ask about this? Then I'll still leave it in just so the co-host can say, you know, I don't really know anything about that. I wasn't there for that. But at least then the listener knows that, that hey, I took a stab at it. Uh, so that, that's seemed, the whole process, and that's probably eight hours, I would say, before wow. we ever press record. It seems obvious, but I, I'm thinking that whatever the final document is, Google Doc, et cetera, that, that, that is next to you when you are taping the podcast? It's in front of both he and I. It's a shared document, so he'll see where I am, and I'll see where he is. And if there's something we missed or something I want to uh, go back to, I can just drag over it with my, my mouse and highlight it for him. So they see in real time where I'm at and what I'm talking about and where I'm going next. The obviously um, some of the uh, the amount of downloads that you will get per episode will determine will be determined based on the subject. For instance, uh, you guys did a phenomenal show after Roddy Piper died. Uh, certainly the uh, the Pritchard one was great, and that might obviously draw more interest because it's on the news. But as a general, sort of as a, as a general overview, as a general rule, what, um, what kind of downloads do you get per episode for each of these podcasts? 
Something the wrestler usually does 300,000 downloads uh, fairly quickly within the first four or five days. Uh, I know that, you know, depending on who you believe from the different ad agencies that will sell ads for us, they say that, it, you know, it could go up to 90 days and that's what they count. Um, some would say six weeks, some would say 60 days. But I'll, Bruce and I always look at, hey, what are we doing in the first week? And usually we're in that 300,000 range unless there is a really, really big topic. And, and Richard, as you know, the metric for what's counted as a download and what's not counted as a download has changed twice since I've been doing this show. Um, when, when we first started, you know, we were doing what we believed to be over a million downloads a week. And, and the data supported that. I mean, we had the charts and graphs, but uh, the, the, the way things are measured has certainly changed. Uh, now with the way everything settled down, it's 300 and change. You know, our Jerry Lawler episode from a few weeks ago is, is over 400,000 now, but it was at 300,000 in the first week, and then it just builds from there. You know, even with the new metrics, some of our shows uh, from like last year, you know, those have crossed a million. Um, so it, it, it is something that grows in time, and that was also part of the strategy to, and I hate the word, but I mean, it really is true the evergreen content has legs. You know, we're not talking about, you know, this year's WrestleMania. We're talking about WrestleMania from 25 years ago. And as a result, in a weird way, that doesn't get old. But people won't be interested in talking about this year's WrestleMania, except for, you know, maybe another month. And then it's put to bed. And maybe 10 years from now, it'll be in fashion again. Hmm. What about for the other two podcasts, the Shivani podcast and the Bischoff podcast? I tried to do the exact same format with Tony Schiavone, and I just wanted the WCW side of things. I thought I had a winning formula with Bruce Pritchard, and I said, hey, this is what we'll do. We'll just do this. Tony's funny. Tony's witty. Tony was there for all of this stuff from Jim Crockett and the NWA, one year with the WBF, and then the entire WCW run, including all the Nitro and the NWO. So we'll just we'll just have him be a part of it, because even though Tony denies it, Tony was a part of those booking meetings, and and Tony was obviously, you know, an executive producer and in charge of all the on-air commentary. And so I, in my head, we'll just do that same format. That did not prove to be effective. Uh, I remember the specific episode where I sort of threw my hands up. We were covering Stone Cold Steve Austin in WCW, which, of course, is before he hit the jackpot with that Stone Cold character. And so I thought this would be, you know, a, a sort of fun before they were famous style episode. Uh, but about three quarters of the way through, I was ready to just quit. Like, okay, he doesn't know anything. Like, why did we? And that was frustrating for me because I had done, as I said, at least eight hours worth of research on this. And I knew more about what Steve Austin did or didn't do than he did. And it just didn't feel like, you know, that was um, a fruitful way for me to spend my time if he didn't know anything. So Rather than get upset or frustrated about it, I just pivoted. And I said, okay, uh, w what is Tony good at? Commentary. Well, let's double down on what he's good at and do more of what he is good at, which is being funny and doing some commentary and being foul and over the top. So we decided to switch to a watch-along format. And it wasn't long before I realized that that worked. Dave Meltzer in his Wrestling Observer newsletter would often publish what the most watched things on the WWE Network were. And randomly... Halloween Havoc 98 was there and it wasn't uh, October. It wasn't, you know, any sort of Halloween anniversary. Nothing was notable at the time about the ultimate warrior Hulk Hogan, who were in the main event of that show. There's literally no reason for it to be in the top five most watched things. However, that was our topic that week on what happened when with Tony Schiavone. So I knew we were onto something 
and those downloads continue to grow. And uh, we're we're probably seventy five thousand downloads on that for the first week, and then it grows from there. So you know, once they have a little age on them and they're a few weeks old, they'll cross that hundred thousand threshold, which everybody in podcasting pretty much unanimously says that's the mark you need to get to to make money in podcasting. So our goal is to get to a hundred in the first week. We're not quite there yet, but we get there with a little bit of age on it. And then the Bischoff one, obviously, is the newest one, but that formatically is much closer to Bruce in that you have somebody who was, you know, an absolute insider who, if you pick a topic, uh, can talk. I mean, you know, Eric Bischoff was not only negotiating t- contracts, he was booking shows. You know, that's very, very close to what Bruce does. So this is a guess. My guess is the ceiling for that may end up being higher than the Shivani one, although the, probably the actual downloads right now may be less just because it's a newer show. That's my that's my guess. No, uh, the, you're close. I mean, the format is the same, but the downloads. I mean, our first episode did a hundred thousand downloads in three days. So, oh wow, we, we we very quickly passed where the Shivani show was, and I think a lot of that was because, you know, for lack of a better word, Bischoff can be uh, when he's presented on camera, and a lot of people only know that version of him, or what the dirt sheets say or what the shoot interviews, what the rumor and innuendo is. He is a fairly controversial and sometimes hateable character. And I think people knew, Hey, this could be combustible because I've not been shy about arguing with Bruce on the show. And uh, I think people were, were looking for that and they got it. And, and the show was a hit fairly quickly, but it is uh, a much drier version of something to wrestle. You know, Bruce does silly caricatures and voices and he's a phenomenal storyteller. Eric is none of that. Eric is a, a businessman. So it is more of an intellectual show. There's less uh, sort of tongue-in-cheek jokes. There's less silly sophomore hijinks. And there is more of an education about the business of the wrestling business. Yeah, I, I have really, Conrad, grown to really, really enjoy 83 Weeks. But I have to be honest. My favorite part of 83 Weeks is the moment before Eric Bischoff's exasperation over something Dave Meltzer has written 20 years ago that is going to piss Eric Bischoff off in real time. I can't tell you how much I enjoy that. Uh, and you could hear Bischoff's mind trying to prevent him from exploding on it, but usually he can't help it. And you're an excellent, you do an excellent job of pushing him to that place. But I, I, I cannot enjoy that enough of Bischoff getting pissed off about something the wrestling observer wrote during the WCW days. It's very, very, to me entertaining. So I, I appreciate that. Thank you. Um, the, uh, one of the things that has been really impressive about your podcast is that you have extended this brand beyond audio. Uh, to me, you, you're going to be able to write books or at least do a Ted talk on this one day, Conrad, because you, um, you've extended the brand to merchandise such as let's say, you know, t-shirts, et cetera. But that was just a start. You now have a massive live show business, where Bruce, Tony, Eric have all done live shows where people come and pay to see these shows around the country. You also uh, um, have now presence at some of these wrestling cons where you can set up shop and people come and probably listen to a live podcast or, or meet Tony, Bruce, and, and Eric. Uh, I, I have no idea about this. I don't think I've ever asked you this prior, but like, was this part of the long-term plan or b- blueprint, or did this kind of external opportunity just happened when you realized you had a popular thing on your hands? Yeah, maybe a little bit of both. 
you know, we were definitely um, looking to expand and, and, and become as integrated as we could. I mean, I realized that, you know, the, the entire idea behind a podcast is to build an audience and build a platform. And then, you know, all the advertise, every agency in the world wants to leverage that audience to sell them stuff. And I thought, well, you know, what's easier to sell them than, you know, uh, cooking supplies or uh, ageless male max, more of us. And so, you know, that, that really became the strategy is how can we monetize it and, and, and sell more of us. So we had an opportunity to do a live show with Bruce at WrestleMania weekend, and that sold out fairly quickly. Uh, and so we just started to grow it. And once we sort of did some trial and error and, and learned a little bit of best practices, if you will, for that, we started to do it with uh, Eric and now Tony. And so, yeah, we've got a show, a live show somewhere in the United States nearly every weekend. And it just felt like a natural progression for us to take a, uh, a shot at doing a convention. You know, I had multiple podcasts. Why not do a wrestling podcast convention? And the opportunity presented itself to piggyback a major wrestling event like a WrestleMania, except not the WWE version. And I pitched the idea. And to my surprise, they liked it. And now it's grown into a, uh, a pretty big business, and we call it StarCast. So here's my question for you, Conrad. The, the, it seems to me that the business of your podcast would be enough for a pretty lucrative career. Are you, are, are you going to continue your mortgage business, which is sort of was what your trade is prior to the podcast business, or is it your intention to – sort of do both for as long as you can, because given all these auxiliary things that you're doing, it's very clear that um, you could have a very comfortable living just in the business of wrestling podcasts at the moment. No, I definitely could. Um, but no, I'm, I have no intention of, of moving out of mortgages. The, the whole plan with doing a podcast originally was to just leverage, you know, build an audience and then leverage it to sell mortgages. You know, in my real life, I advertise on a mortgage company on radio and TV and, digital marketing and so i have a, a tremendous ad budget that we're spending money for every single month to use someone else's audience but then when i started to really look at you know how many people are listening to this radio station at this time you know what is it five thousand ten thousand twenty thousand i mean if it's a big station you know the the numbers on this it's it's still not necessarily an overwhelming amount of people versus if i go do a podcast and three hundred thousand people hear it and instead of me writing a check to do that, I can just throw it in for free. And then eventually someone will actually pay me to read their ads to my 300,000 person audience. It was a no brainer. And so, you know, we got really excited about the opportunity to, to grow the audience just to sell the mortgages. And, and that's still the plan. And so we've expanded the mortgage business to where we're no longer just licensed in a handful of states. We're licensed in nearly 40 now and continuing to add more every month. And, the goal is, you know, it won't be that far. Maybe by the end of the year, it will be licensed in all 50 states. And if you've got this big vehicle that is is generating eyeballs and ear holes, then, uh, hey, man, let's use it to our advantage. So, no, no plans on moving away from mortgages. Uh, I know that everything comes to an end, and this wrestling nostalgia could be a bubble, and this could go away. And that doesn't mean that I won't try to be smart and ahead of the curve and pivot, but I'm just realistic about the fact that, you know, 10 years ago, podcasts were not what they are now. 
and that technology could change and maybe it's not as big 10 years from now. So we're always looking to do different things, whether it's the video show on WWE Network or the live show or merchandise or the conventions and fan interactive experiences or whatever that may be. Uh, you know, we want to try to be there and then hopefully the technology catches up instead of the opposite. All right, a couple more here. Um, you, uh, for the people in the audience who don't know, uh, Ric Flair is your father-in-law, uh, you know, one of the greatest uh uh, professional wrestling performers in history. Um, what's been interesting on the podcast, though, Conrad, is that you um, you haven't necessarily, I don't know how to phrase it, like you haven't necessarily leveraged that. Like, you, you, you know, we haven't had a ton of drop-ins from Rick. You're not sort of leveraging the, the Flair brand. Is that intentional, that you sort of don't want to uh, go down that road because you don't want people to think that's sort of, for lack of a better word, a, a gimmick that you're using? Yeah, I mean, if I can't stand on my own, I don't deserve to stand at all. So I, 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 it is a very conscious effort to not leverage it and just hope that the content is good enough as it is to stand on its own. Uh, but at the same time, and this is going to sound arrogant, I, I didn't need it. You know, I, I really did right. feel like with the Ric Flair show, people were going to listen to the first episode and they were going to try it and take it for a spin because his name was attached. Uh, because he is a major draw. Bruce Pritchard is not. Eric Bischoff is not. Tony Schiavone is not. So I had to make sure the content was good. So when someone gave that show a shot, whether or not they listened the second time would be determined by the content or the word of mouth would get out that, hey, this is a good show. You got to check it out. We didn't really have to have that with Rick. I mean, they would check it out the first time just because it was Rick. But they, we really did need to make the show good in order for people to continue to listen but there's a certain amount of people who are going to listen no matter what because it was Ric Flair. I didn't have that with, with Bruce or Tony or Eric. So we had to work hard. So through hard work, we've you know put in a lot of time on the promotion and we've put in a lot of time with the, the business strategy. But most of all, with the show formatting, you know, if you've got aspiring podcasters listening right now who – and I get messages like that all the time. Hey, I want to be a podcaster. Dude, the real work happens away from the microphone. You know, the, the actual preparation for the show and the promotion of the show is what takes up the time. You know, once we click record, I'm just having fun and, and BSing with my buddies. That's not nearly uh, as, as stressful or even as important. You know, by the time you click record, you should pretty much be done. You have an idea of where you want to be and, and how you're going to get there. And at that point, you know, there's nothing left to do except have a little fun for an hour or two or whatever it may be. But the real work is all the other stuff. And, and I was willing to put in the work. And as a result, I didn't feel like I needed to phone a friend, so to speak. <laughs> I appreciate that answer. Although next time you see your father-in-law, tell him, excellent job of selling for Dave Batista. I, I appreciate sure. that, uh, watching that. Um, what are the, how do you, the, the thing about these uh, podcasts, Conrad, is that you have three of them. And clearly it's labor-intensive. Uh, the, the, the quality of sound and production, in my opinion, is very high. How does it work after uh, the session is over? Do, do you produce it yourself? Are you at the point now where you have hired a producer, a music person? What's the, what does the back end look like? I've got a whole squad that makes this possible. I've got two guys who help me with my show formatting as far as just helping me organize notes and data dumps and things like that. And I've got, uh, and that's uh, Chris and Clint. And then I've got a guy who does all of our video work for, you know, any sort of promotional video we need. And Chris McDonald, 
the guy who does all the cover art and all the graphics for the show is Dave Silva. Uh, the guy who handles, you know, all of our Patreon stuff and, um, any sort of customer service issues is Jeff Jones and uh, Scott handles all of our travel. So if we you know, need to be at this hotel for this show, he's going to take care of that. Uh, Jeff Jones will help us book a venues. So like for live events and helping cut deals with comedy clubs and things like that, that's all Jeff Jones. Uh, but the actual recording is done on my, at my house, on my computer in my home studio. So my co-host will be on Skype and I'll run it through a Mackie Pro FX4. I use a Shure KSM microphone I use a DBX uh, 286 mic processor, and I record it all on Adobe Audition. And once I have that uh, with, with my feed and my co-host feed, I'll upload that as one MP3 file to Google Drive, and I'll share it with uh, Joseph Freeney, who then adds the music. I'll tell him where the spots are, and he'll go add the music in and make sure the levels are right and all that jazz. And then he'll share it back with me as an MP3, and then I will post it. Uh, to either mid-roll or audio boom or whoever we're using at the time. Uh, Westwood One, I believe right now, is using Omni Studio. So we'll just upload it there, and, and then uh, I'll type in the description, drop in Dave Silva's art, and schedule the release. And we release the episodes at the same time on the same day every week. Wow. I didn't realize how many people were now involved in that. that that's really impressive. Uh, thank you for, uh, uh, for informing uh, my audience on that. I, I had no idea. All right, uh, the two final ones. What um, what are your long term goals, Conrad? For this, what is there another evolution that you can see these? In addition, obviously, to growing audience, uh, traditional, you know, more downloads, et cetera. But are there other long term goals that you want for this initiative? Yeah, there are. You know, I'm I'm gonna have a, a whole network of shows, more than just three. Uh, I'll appear on, on more than what I'm doing now, but I'll also help you know, bring other shows sort of underneath me. And rather than just, you know, slap a sticker on it and say, hey, this is the Conrad Network, there'll be real strategy involved. You know, we've got a salesperson who works out of St. Louis who helps us sell ads right now. And, um, you know, we're not totally reliant on third-party sales. So we're in the process of developing a landing page right now. And we've already got, you know, our PDF, like our media kit, like our radio station or television station would have that has all the data about who's listening and we captured that by incentivizing listeners to complete surveys. So if they did this amount of surveys, we'd give them a bonus episode or whatever. So now as a result, we have the data on, you know, household income and age and education and buying habits and things like that. And all that stuff is attractive to advertisers. And I don't think anybody else in the wrestling podcast space is even thinking like that. So that's really my leg up. And uh, you know, so we'll drive independent sales that way. We'll start a network. I imagine there will be more integration for video, and I would expect more conventions and live shows and things like that in the future. And then lastly, and I think everybody who's a fan of yours would want me to ask this because it's probably the question of the moment uh, in your podcast world. Uh, people know that Bruce Pritchard now is working for the WWE's return back as whatever it is, sort of an advisor or a show consultant or whatever the title is. And I, I think there, you know, there are, you, you've announced that the show is going to continue, which is awesome. But I think there's a real fair question to ask. And that is, does Bruce's involvement with the WWE, do you think it will change the tenor, the, uh, the honesty, the transparency, what, what the reason why people have enjoyed this podcast so much? 
No. I mean, I don't know another way to say it, but I mean, the reality is we've had to deal with WWE for more than a year now because we were on the network uh, and it didn't change. And before that, you know, Bruce was working with uh, Impact and the the show didn't change. So when we announced that he was, you know, going to do stuff with Impact, everybody thought show's over, show's going to change. It didn't. When we announced the network show, everyone assumed the podcast was going away. They're just going to do whitewashed video for the network. That didn't happen. That's not going to happen now. You know, the only thing that's going to change is, you know, Bruce's time is obviously at a premium right now, especially with this being WrestleMania season. So the live shows are going to slow down and uh, probably stop for a while. Our last scheduled one right now happens at StarCast in Las Vegas over Labor or Memorial Day weekend. But beyond that, you know, no real other change. You know, we're just going to put a few more shows in the can. Normally we didn't do that. We would just tape everything week of unless one of us had to be out of town uh last year when i got married i scheduled it the week or we recorded it the week ahead of time so i didn't have to do anything uh, you know i could just do a regular honeymoon but outside of that you know putting a show or two in the can nothing's changing I mean, but I, I understand the concern but uh it's just it's we're talking about stuff from 30 years ago i mean i guess the thing that is different is you know our most two recent live shows about half the questions were about current WWE creative. And, and with that exception, every time I shut it down and said, guys, that's not what the show is. That's not what you bought a ticket for. That's not what you've been listening for. And we're not doing it. I mean, Bruce can't talk about it, obviously. And I'm going to be the bad guy in that. But nobody ever listened to something to wrestle to hear who The Undertaker was going to wrestle at WrestleMania 35. That, that's not that's the, right. No, let's talk about why The Undertaker wasn't on WrestleMania 10. And, and, and Bruce isn't going to get in trouble, and Bruce isn't going to get any backlash. And, and anybody who thinks that part of the reason Bruce is back isn't the podcast is lying to themselves. He was completely out of wrestling. I mean, done. All the way done. And, I mean, he tried selling cars and, and worked at an attorney's office and did some work with me, but... He was as far away from wrestling as wrestling could get. But now through the podcast, people have realized, hey, wait a minute. Uh, there's more, there's more, there's some some juice left in Bruce. There's more in there. Let's get it out. And that's what Vince wants. But Vince wouldn't have known that if it weren't for the podcast. I'm not saying that to be arrogant. I'm just saying that's reality. And so this vehicle has has been very, very effective, not only for Bruce, quote unquote, getting over again but really, really effective in leveraging some of the WWE's archives. You know, us being the, the first podcast like that with a, with a weekly show on the network, that wasn't an accident. It was because we were leveraging, you know, the stuff that they already had. I mean, we could go back and talk about just the stuff in their archives that nobody's really talking about. I mean, when you see the numbers for what people are watching on the network, it's all the new stuff. They're watching the new takeover. They're watching the new pay-per-view. They're not watching old stuff from 1997 or 1993, but they would when Bruce and I would talk about it. They would see those viewing habits go through the roof, and they realized, hey, these guys are directing traffic to the network indirectly, so we got the network deal. So one hand washes the other. The show's not going to change except, you know, less live shows. And we're never going to talk about current stuff, but that's not new. That's the same as what we've been doing. Yeah, I appreciate that. You're absolutely right. Uh, Bruce is, first of all, Bruce is not in Australia without you. And second of all, he is absolutely not uh, back at the WWE. And it's also been great for Eric and Tony, just in terms of sort of, re maybe not Eric, who I think probably uh, could have done the convention circuit, but certainly Tony. And that's great to see. It's great to see Tony back and, um, and interacting with fans again and sort of being part of being part of that world. All right, Conrad, no one is going to ask to book this shit because you're a good guest. 
And so I appreciate that uh, uh, always. Uh, and this is number three appearance. It will not be the last one, Conrad, because for me, you are you you help my downloads, Conrad. I'm not I'm not at your level of uh, of download height, but I'm going to get the Conrad Thompson bump. I predict, and I appreciate. It. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, thanks, man. I Con- appreciate you saying that. I appreciate everybody yeah. listening. If you if you'd like to uh, follow me on Twitter, I'd love to chat podcasts with you. Uh, we'll get in the DMs, and I'll try to help however I can. I know I was way in the weeds, but I know I get questions after I do a show like this. Well, hey, what do you use to record your show? So I just wanted to run through it. And if there's anything else that I can help you with, hit me up on Twitter at Hey Hey It's Conrad. They will do that again at Hey Hey It's Conrad. Conrad, the mortgage guy's his handle. And let me go through the promo again. Conrad Thompson is the co-host and founder of three of the most popular wrestling podcasts out there today. Something to wrestle with Bruce Pritchard. What happened when with Tony Schiavone? 83 weeks with Eric Bischoff. Uh, and I will say I've met Conrad in person. Uh, great guy. And I'm so happy for his, his success because it just came from such an authentic place. So uh, I totally root for him and uh, and I will be listening uh, as always. Hey, man, Conrad, thank you so much. I appreciate your time. And uh, I'm sure we will chat again. Thanks, uh, thanks for coming back once again on the Sports Media Podcast. Hey, thanks for having me, man. Shireen Ahmed is one of the hosts of the Burn It All Down podcast. That is a weekly collaboration between journalists Jessica Luther, Lindsay Gibbs, Professor Brenda Elsie, and Amira Rose Davis. Together, they bring an intersexual feminist view to the biggest stories in sports. Uh, This is a podcast that has really been getting a lot of notice over the last couple of months, and I'm very excited to have my fellow Toronto homegirl, Shireen Ahmed on the Sports Media Podcast. Shireen, thanks for doing this. Thanks for having me, Richard. All right, so let's start here, Shireen. How would you describe your podcast to someone who has never listened to it? We describe ourselves as the feminist sports podcast that you need. And it's five of us, as you mentioned, me, Jessica Lindsay, and Dr. Amira Rose Davis and Dr. Brenda Elsley, who are two sports historians um, at Hofstra University in Penn State, respectively. And what we do is we cover very timely topics like news-breaking things in sports, all kinds of sports, men and women's sports. And what we do is that we sort of unpack the greater issues around them, which often are the intersections of race and gender. And um, it's one of a kind because we're all women and we offer an intersectional perspective on that, which means that we don't shy away from issues of analyzing class, race, and gender, as I mentioned. So we're, we're different. We love sports. I know that sounds like a lot to a lot of people. Essentially, there's five of us talking sports and our perspective on sports. So that's, it's a very, in my opinion, it's a very different and refreshing take. How and why did this podcast start, Shereen? Well, we're on episode 99. Um, so we've been doing this for like 99 weeks, which is pretty mm. wild. Um, it started, I put together a bunch of people on, in a Twitter group. And as much as Twitter is like an abyss of like horribleness for a lot of people, namely, you know, women and NB sports and people in media, because, you know, the trolls and the commentary, um, I also found it to be incredibly useful and for networking and making connections. 
So I created a Twitter DM group, which at the time also included my one of my favorite baseball writers, Stacey May Fowles, who's also a Toronto homegirl, the original Toronto homegirl, and <laughs> um, Julie DeCaro, who's based out of Chicago. So the DM group was started more of as a support group for us to share our stresses and talk about trolls and just sort of support each other, which is fairly common for women in the industry. And Julie one day said, because she does radio, let's do a podcast. I don't listen to podcasts. Um, I never had before. So I was like, I don't know what you're saying. I don't know what that involves. Like, I have no idea how to do this. We're all in different places. How is this going to work? So the idea was, we'll just do a pilot. And 99 weeks later, we're still here. Um, Julie's no longer with the podcast. Amira, Dr. Amiro's Davis is in, but we're still going and we're going strong. So it's sort of like that's how it actually began. So, Shireen, I think people will be fascinated by this. You know, you said you, you know, you came to the podcast world basically not knowing much about podcasting. So did you have to uh, did you have to learn how to tape, how to edit uh, the booking for you guys probably um, is not as big a factor, obviously, because you already have all your group there. But so, how did um, on the mechanics of it? Who? How did you put it out initially? And did you have to learn the, uh, you know, the mechanics of putting out a podcast? I am not technically savvy um, at all. I have four teenagers, so like I get instant help with Snapchat <laughs> and Instagram, and that's like my level of expertise. Um, I had to learn everything. We started off initially basically using Google Chat, I believe. And at the time, Julie's husband just edited us. So our first couple episodes of audio are really rough when we go back and listen to them now because we were really choppy. There was things like, and I was guilty of this, of slurping my coffee because we also recorded and we still record every Sunday morning at 9. So we made a commitment as a team to forego our sleep-ins on Sunday and record, um, which there's benefit to that because you can do that in your pajamas. I believe I'm in my pajamas every week for recording. Um, <laughs> so in addition to what we first did is we all bought Yeti mics because that was the suggestion. Then it was, let's find a, a place that can edit it professionally. So we use a service called We Edit Podcast. So what we did, because we're in five different places, Amira's in State College, Brenda's in Hudson Valley, I'm in Toronto, Jessica's in Austin, and Lindsay's in Washington, D.C. So we're not even in the same place. So we use a program called Zencaster. And it's, you have to pay for it monthly. It's not, like, enormous of a fee. Um, because we're also an independent podcaster, and it was like we're paying out of pocket to get this done initially and then thought, well, we have to fund all this. And I can get to that in a bit. But So we record on Zencaster. We also, by trial and error, realize that sometimes the audio in Zencaster is not great. So we also record our tracks locally, which means individually. I use Audacity, which is a program that you can just record your track just as a backup. Now, backup is very important for those people interested in podcasting. Please make sure you back up your audio. <laughs> and... That's very, very important because if you know the Zencaster doesn't work out, you at least have it saved. So I learned all of this by trial and error. I learned how to 
you know, use the Yeti. I am not a person who reads instruction manuals, so when I got it, I just sort of plugged it in and away we go. It's good to read the instruction manual. <laughs> it's good to know not to have a whole bunch of open tabs. I have like 20 open tabs on my laptop as I, you know, use this program. That's not always a great idea. So just to shut stuff down and, and, and use that. Um, you know, learning things like the mic is very sensitive, so even if you're typing, because well, when we're in Zencaster, we use typing to communicate with each other to know who's next to speak. Um, we have one person who leads the show every week. Like Lindsay makes a schedule ahead of time so we know. And if we can't make it, like we have family commitments. Four of us on the team are moms and we're partners and we have obligations and pets and jobs. So, you know, not everybody can be there every week. So we set a schedule. We use Google for a lot of our communication. We use Slack for, you know, immediate stuff. So it's, like, no different than a regular workplace, but it's, like, basically our side gig. That's, I appreciate that explanation, and I feel like uh, a massive slacker now, given that uh, Terrence Maligone, my producer, pretty much handles everything that you just went down. Uh, so I have the uh, the comforts of, uh, of that. In terms of your... Um, in terms of your audience, uh, roughly how many downloads do you get per episode? Well, I think we're up at 4,000, so we're upwards of like 16,000 a month. We get, um, and it also depends on the episode. Like, I know that our Olympic pre Winter Olympic uh, in Pyeongchang, our episode did really, really well. We had one where we had Rachel Delhonder, um, who was the first survivor to come out about Nasser and um, yep. and uh, gymnastics, um, you know, case. She that episode was huge in terms of listening. So it's pretty much even at about four thousand, but sometimes we dip up to five thousand, and you know, so so that that's pretty good. So I mean, we're obviously working on getting our numbers higher. We're a very very word of mouth podcast. A lot of the time, our listeners are like. We don't like sports, but we'll like, we love feminism. And then on the flip side, we have people saying, we don't like feminism, but we love sports and we love your take, or we don't understand feminism rather, but it's sort of woven in as opposed to given as a huge dollop. It's just interwoven. So we attract a different type of audience. We have academics, we have, you know, stay at home moms, we have working moms, we have dads, we have like kids. I love my kids. I make them listen to it on drive. But (laughs) So our, like, I've literally had to say to my kids, please subscribe and rate. Otherwise, I'm not giving you your allowance or I will not drive you to volleyball. So there's a little bit of that. Um, And we're reaching out. We're getting out there. And we're still, I think there's untapped audience that we haven't even been able to reach out to. We don't have a producer. um, And so bless all the podcast producers out there because your work is really valuable and important. Um, We do have a team member named Shelby who works out of Toronto and she does her social media and she's amazing. She does our graphics and we really appreciate her. So um, it's not just the five of us. There's a lot of other, you know, hands that come into this, including obviously the lessons. You, uh, you mentioned earlier funding and I know that that's something that uh, you guys have got a little bit of traction with. Um, How did you approach funding for this podcast? Because um, like you said, you're truly independent. Not just that you have all the different people who are part of this podcast in different parts of the country. So there's, you know, there's real logistical challenges here. So we talked about this initially because, you know, um, I'm a 
freelance writer, and so is Jessica. So the idea of us doing this without remuneration, which is currently the case, um, was not far removed from us. Like it was something that was, uh, can we afford it? Like I couldn't afford to pay out of pocket for work that I'm doing. But so we decided to start a GoFundMe at that time, which made the most sense. And then Lindsay did some research and thought that a Patreon would work well. We weren't sure if people would buy into it or sort of like the idea, but we framed it around having a community, which is very much how we've been received. And we're so thankful for this. We call our listeners flamethrowers because as you mentioned, the name of the podcast is burn it all down. And when we say that burn down all the bad things in sports so we can have what we love. So we call them flamethrowers and they contribute as little as $2 and as much as they want um, monthly. And that helps us uh, pay for things like transcripts. We want to be accessible to people. Um, we want to be able to have the transcripts up. We have timestamps. Sometimes we talk about sensitive issues. So having timestamps is really, really key for people. If they want to skip a segment that might be triggering, then again, like I said, we have Shelby and then there's, there's us, there's the actual payment for Zencaster and all these things. So we, it adds up. Um, Amira, like Dr. Amira Rose Davis had the brilliant idea of merchandise which is another thing. So we have a Teespring store with merchandise, which really, really is hitting like new levels that people are really interested. It's kind of weird to see like your face on something. <laughs> so um, I have a burn it all down mug that I love. And it, it just also makes me feel closer until very recently. The five of us had never been in the same place at the same time. I had never even met Lindsay before in person. Wow. So, so it was, we're really doing this from different places. So having, you know, my face beside her on a button or mug was, was great. So that was really nice. Yeah. And I, and I'll and get, I think to, I'll get to doable. Yeah. I was, yeah. I was I'll get to your live show in New York in a second. Cause I imagine that's where you, uh, you saw Lindsay. Is there a, um, is there either a favorite episode that you've done or maybe a better question is, is there an episode that you think best reflects what the podcast is? Oh, what a great question. Um, Every week, I feel like I message everyone on Slack, and I'm like, I'm so proud of us. This is really good. There's a couple of episodes that stand out for me. My favorite episode, and I'm going to be really biased here, I was lucky to have Kia Nurse of the Canadian Women's National Basketball Team, and she plays for New York Liberty. I love Kia. She's a pioneer in women's basketball in Canada. She's a UConn Huskies alum. I also love that team. I had the opportunity to meet her a year and a half ago when I went to stores and hung out with her. And she's also just someone who I think whose personality, she's effervescent, she's smart, she's a fantastic basketball player. And I loved my interview with her because I'm the only Canadian on the show. So I really have to hold down the fort in terms of like curling and hockey. And sometimes <laughs> women's hockey discussions get a little get a little tense on the show and there's some hockey rivalries between me who is a Montreal Canadiens fan and Amira who's Boston Bruins fan so it's fun so my episode with Kia was really profound like I really liked it because we got to talk about like Tim Hortons and ketchup chips and stuff and which are two things that are far more popular I mean the United <laughs> States doesn't even have ketchup chips which I don't understand how it's a country but that's okay um, so Another episode for us, I think it was episode 32, we talked about Mental Health Awareness Week and everybody on, at 
the table brought forth an athlete that had really moved them. We also talk, we talked about our own struggles with mental health, whether it's anxiety or depression or ADHD. And I had an opportunity to share who I love, who is Silken Lalman, who is a Canadian oars woman. Um, And just kind of coincidentally, I'm now working on a project with her (laughs) as a result of that episode. So it's kind of it's kind of cool and then you know we had a pride episode which was like two hours uh, about a year ago and that was wonderful another episode that I learned a lot from and this is key because I learn a lot every time we do we record is episode 95 where Lindsay interviewed Susan Shepard who is a journalist who focuses on um, sexualized violence and um, exploitation of sex workers and this came out because when the news emerged that Robert Kraft, the owner of the New England Patriots, had been implicated in a scandal, which we'll call scandal, but involving uh, sex workers and that they were, um, you know, they were indentured in indentured servitude. So they were basically sex slaves. So as much as we want to talk about everything, like there's that jump in sports media to talk about it quickly, we thought it was more important to learn how to talk about it because not everybody knows how to talk about issues. So Lindsay interviewed Susan Shepard, who took us through the case and then sort of was very instructive on how media should cover these kinds of things. I learned a lot from that, and I was very proud of the decision we made to not just opine about it, but do something constructive and impactful. So that was that's just stuck with me quite a bit. You, um, you mentioned earlier that um, it was the first time recently you saw one of your podcast mates and you guys did a live show at Columbia University, which I'm sure was really exciting. But it gets to sort of one area that I want to ask you about, and that's growing your podcast. You guys have done a phenomenal job, essentially, uh, as a word-of-mouth podcast from growing and getting publicity. A live show certainly does that. So within the sort of the construct of all that, Shireen, um, what are your plans to, to grow the podcast and um, and – are there ways to grow it just beyond word of mouth for your kind of podcast? I certainly hope so. Like, I mean, in year of sort of having a big backer or media outlet to sort of to expand, help us expand, we do things very simply like Facebook posts and ads. We purchase ads or we have a promoted tweet or something like that. Not very often. just depends what our budget looks like. But we really try hard. We, the um, live taping was really, the live recording was really important to us because as I said, it was the first time we met. We're very grateful to Columbia University and for Hofstra University that rolled that entire thing into a conference that they were having on activism and sport um, and advocacy and, and media, which was organized by Dr. Frank Garitti of Columbia and Dr. Brenda Elsie, who's part of our podcast as well. So it was sort of rolled into that. Um, we had a great turnout. We were really happy. The Columbia School of Journalism is incredible, and we had it there. It was really interesting. It was wonderful to meet everybody in person. Like, you're so close already that it was very organic. I mean, I was very excited to be able to take a selfie because I really love selfies of all of us in the same place as opposed to, like, trying to Photoshop us all in. Um And in terms of growing, the response that we had was great. We had a lot of people that couldn't come out because it was on a Friday afternoon at 2 p.m., not the most 
optimal time, but we had a great turnout considering. And still, there's a lot of people that attended and didn't know about us. So I use things like LinkedIn. We all reach out to our networks. Um, and, you know, we're not talking about um, small things. Like, we try the best we can. We do rely heavily on our friends and our listener community to help us, and they really have stepped up. I mean, Jessica is the foremost authority on sexualized violence in college football in the United States. Like, she's published on it. I mean, Brenda and Amira. Amira is particularly an authority on, you know, race and sports and has done so much work. And all, we always ask for simple things, like if we're being interviewed, as a, instead of just saying, Shireen Ahmed, sports writer, I will ask that if I'm being interviewed to also add co-host of Burn It All Down podcast. So it's little things that we're trying to do constantly. And, uh, you know, we do a lot of work in terms of athlete communities really do like us. And that's we're very grateful for as well. Like we reach out and um, we are people approach us to have athletes and authors and activists and coaches on as well. So we try to do that as much as we can in addition to our full-time jobs. <laughs> one, of the, uh, one of the things that's really interesting about your podcast, obviously behind the people who are part of the podcast, who obviously are all interesting women and have really, really interesting careers, is I, I, as someone who has written about the podcast based, at least in sports, I've never – you are unique. Like the, there's no one else doing the podcast, generally speaking, what you guys are doing. And that leads me into – what are your long, long-term long goals, Shireen? And is it a goal to eventually uh, move this into a different tier to maybe be part of a more established podcast network, maybe to have some kind of uh, principal sponsor, maybe to travel the country, which some other podcasts do? Have you guys spoken about, let's say, where you'd like to be a year from now uh, or 16 months from now? Um, we have meetings. And we talk about that or what our hopes and dreams of ideally, and I can only speak to myself in terms of a vision, but we also have a lot of shared goals. We would love to be able to grow the podcast. We are not at all opposed to having a principal backer, as you mentioned. We're just very particular on what it is and who it is. And I think that goes to the heart of who we are and what we want from this. You know, there's this idea of we don't want to sell out. And what does that even mean to different people? And I'm, a Muslim identifiable Muslim woman of color. I want to make sure that the politics behind who's backing us are okay. And we all feel that way. Um, you know, I think in terms of where we want to be, we would love like a hundred thousand listeners. We would love that. We would be very open to traveling and sharing our perspectives, um, sharing our work. Um, this podcast also affords us the opportunity to share what we're working on. Cause we are always constantly working on something. Um, and, you know, ahead of like the Women's World Cup, soccer, uh, soccer or football, rather, or both, Brenda and I sort of have an expertise in this. And so, you know, we've been asked to do some interviews and projects leading up to the Women's World Cup. So it's it's something that we are constantly looking at in terms of where we'll be in 16 months. We don't know, because if you had this conversation with us, you know, a year ago, we wouldn't know we would have had this. We hoped that we would have done a live recording and the momentum is still building and will constantly build and that's what we want. Um, in terms of what we constantly want to achieve, for me personally, the point of this podcast, because we're 99 episodes in and it is important to note, we've never had a man on our show. And the reason for that is we want to help recreate what sports media looks like. Who are experts? Experts can be people of color, 
uh, women of color, particularly non-binary folks, people that don't automatically, when you say sports writer, you don't look to them as experts, but they definitely are. That could be academics, activists, advocates, researchers, athletes, coaches, officials, like referees, whatever, uh, sports administration, all of that. So we're just trying to create a space to amplify those voices that don't get airtime at all in the mainstream media. And yeah, we are very unique and we're aware of this. There's a lot of responsibility that comes with it. We get a lot of requests to cover certain angles, people. We get a lot of feedback from our listeners. Um, we, everybody has a job on the team. My team is to answer emails. <laughs> so I get a lot of requests from people. I think you should do this. I don't think that was handled well. Maybe you should do this. And we do take them seriously. I take the time. I try to answer as promptly as I can, but I will discuss with the team first and say, listen, I'd like you guys to read this email. And we do everything collaboratively. Nobody makes a unilateral decision. That's not how we operate. But for some people, it might seem really a lot. But as a team handling the topics that we handle, it's also very comforting to have people around you helping you through it. And I don't know how people do podcasts alone. I have absolutely no idea how they do this because it's a lot of work. But between the five of us, I can just for the number, it's anywhere from 10 to 20 hours per episode for us to prep, to research. Yeah. And then post-production and then have a conversation about it. We book our own guests. We don't have a producer, so we do all of that our own. We take the time on top of that to get the guests. You know, sometimes we do hot takes, meaning if there's an episode, we usually release on Tuesday. And if there's something that comes up immediately that we have to talk about, we'll record what we call hot take. So I know that I interviewed Shakia Taylor, who we love to have on, about the Baseball Hall of Fame um, when the inductees were announced. Um, So I had her on. So it's about a 15 to 20 minute conversation that we just upload. doesn't require a lot of editing. It's just a quick convo. And, you know, we also, in addition to doing extras, we do extras for our Patreons because we want to thank them for contributing. So we do a segment and a newsletter every month, especially for them. So there's a lot of stuff that happens. All right. I have two more for you. Um, And the first one is what, and I realize probably the answer to this is a lot, uh, but what subjects do you want to hit on the podcast in the future? What's a show that, at least even in, the near term that you guys or subject that you guys really want to address that you, that you have not addressed prior on the podcast. Wow. I feel like we've done a lot in 99, almost 99 episodes. Um, it also depends on the news cycle. Like we were going to talk about the women's world cup is coming up. We've talked a lot. We've talked a lot about pay and equity. We've talked a lot about media as members of media. We I gripe about it a lot. Um, Specifically, one thing, what have we talked about that we want to talk about? We've talked about everything from motherhood and athleticism to like misogyny, racism. We constantly talk about, we, okay, one thing we haven't talked about yet is NWSL leadership. Hmm. And actually, we've touched on it, but we haven't really dug super deep into it. And why does that league not have a commissioner still? Like, that is something I know we haven't done in depth. We've mentioned it. We've brought it up. But that's one of the things I would like to see a little more 
um, global coverage, like we talk about, we have a segment called Badass Women of the Week where we shout out women from all over the world and non-binary folks who have achieved really great things, whether it's winning a championship or a tournament. But I would like to see a little bit more global stuff, and we do that. We like Brenda definitely talks about Latin America, and I talk about South Asia and the Arab world quite a bit, and we often delve into Europe. So, But I would like to see more stuff on that. Um, because sometimes we can get, we go down that rabbit hole of America only, and I call it a rabbit hole for specific reasons. So, <laughs> I mean, yeah, so that kind of thing. I, there's nothing that sticks out for me because we, we, we do a lot. <laughs> yeah, those are those those will those those will be all interesting topics. Specifically, the future of the NW uh, the NWSL. Um, mm-hmm. All right, and lastly, is there anything um, that you want to add that I did not ask you? I think some people might be reluctant to listen to five women talk about sports, but one of the things that I'm grateful for that we haven't had to do is explain how we know stuff. Like I know that when I go somewhere, I, when you look at me, I wear a headscarf. I'm a brown woman. And I'm like, I'm a sports writer. The reaction is like, what do you mean you talk about culture and identity? No, I'm a sports writer. I can talk about culture and identity, but it's almost like having this podcast affords us a place to not have to explain how we know stuff. We just know stuff. Um, this is who we are. This is what we do. This is what we love. We have talked about, you know, loving sports, but struggling with the industries and the systems of oppression that engulf those sports. There's a lot of issues. There's a way and a place to love a sport, but be critical of things and issues emerging around them, whether it's a leadership or lack of, of, you know, support, whatever. But essentially we love sport and that's what will unite us and sort of draw our fans in. And you know what, like I said, we're very appreciative of our listeners. We're really happy that they respond to us. Um, I think the idea of giving us a chance because people might also assume that we always agree with each other. And that's not, that's a, that's not good listening. That's not good radio. And it's boring to have five people that always agree. Like there's different perspectives. We're five different individuals um, with different sports loyalties as well. So it's fun. That's the other thing. This is fun. We laugh a lot. And that's really important to me because we want to make it, we cover really heavy topics, but we do it in a way that can be easier for our listeners, respectful of the topic, but we also enjoy what we do. So it's a really good lesson. Well, I have great admiration for what you guys have built, and I think it's only going to get bigger. Uh, Shireen Ahmed is one of the hosts of the Burn It All Down podcast, and her group is Jessica Luther, who uh, you know my listeners know is uh, uh, foremost authority when it comes to the nexus of sexual assault in college sports, specifically college football. Lindsey Gibbs is at Think Progress. Professors Brenda Elsie and Amira. Rose Davis. Uh, Shireen, I, uh, I got great admiration for what you're doing with this podcast, and uh, I wish you nothing but continued success. Thanks for coming on today and sharing your story on the Sports Media Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. We now move on to two people in the mainstream sports media who, if you are a hockey fan, you know full well. Emily Kaplan and Greg Wyshynski of ESPN. They are the co-hosts of ESPN on Ice with Wyshynski and Kaplan. Greg also hosts Puck Soup with Ryan Lambert 
and down goes Brown. Emily Kaplan used to be a colleague of mine at Sports Illustrated. You read her work in MMQB. Uh, Greg Wyshynski, uh, I believe, started at Yahoo Sports in 1932, and you read his uh, work <laughs> on that publication for a long time. Uh, Emily and Greg, welcome to the Sports Media Podcast. Well, thanks. Thank it's sir. a great honor, Greg. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the the okay. pause that you okay. the pause that you yeah the pause that you guys had uh, it was I mean the enthusiasm is just off the charts. Let's uh, no, let's start. We're just uh, with... flexing our chemistry, Richard. We we never like to interrupt <laughs> each other. No, I know you're in one. One of you is in Chicago. One of you is in the Bay Area. I'm in Toronto, and my producer's in New York. So this is literally the the worst idea uh, in terms of coordination. But we'll try our best. All right, Emily, I'm going to start with you. Um, if someone for someone who's never listened to ESPN on Ice, how would you describe your podcast? Hmm, great question. I think it's a be all end all catch all podcast for hockey that kind of can catch you up on the week. Uh, we'll dive into two big issues. Uh, you know, what the people are talking about on Hockey Twitter, Hockey Reddit, people who just love watching hockey. Uh, we'll give our take on the puck headlines. And then we have really secured huge guests. And this year, especially, I'm pretty proud of the names that we've been able to pull in, whether it's, you know, coaches of the teams that are doing the best. We had Rocky Works, the owner of the Blackhawks, on. Uh, newsmakers, uh, Greg secured a Tom Dundon interview the morning after uh, the Carolina Hurricanes owner uh, announced that he was pretty much bailing out the AAF, which was a pretty huge interview and kind of made some circles in the football world, too. So that's kind of what I have. And then we have, obviously, our brand of personality. And Greg's been known for the hockey community for some time with his work with Puck Daddy. I'm a bit newer to the hockey community, but um, I really appreciate the opportunity to be able to be introduced to them. Emily, when does the podcast come out, and does it come out on either the same day or days each week? It's usually the same day. I usually we record on Tuesdays and our awesome producer, Ryan Matlack, who I hope you give many shout outs to because he's the guy that keeps us running, uh, puts it out later that day. And depending on travel schedule, sometimes, you know, it'll be a day later. For example, today we're recording on a Wednesday, uh, but that's typically what we do. All right, Craig, um, you have done podcasts prior to joining ESPN. And uh, but when you when you and Emily arrived there, I, I, I don't know the time frame in terms of uh, I think she was at ESPN a little bit before you, but how did this start? Was it something that you both co-pitched to your bosses? Did your bosses come to you and say, we want to we want to do a podcast? How did it work? I think the the assumption when I uh, signed with ESPN was that I'd do a podcast there and and they wanted one. And it's it's the primary reason uh, why my podcast with Jeff Merrick, the Merrick versus Wyshynski podcast kind of went by the wayside because that's what he's with Sportsnet and I'm with ESPN and it becomes a whole corporate schmaz. Um, so when it became apparent that they, that we both wanted to do a podcast, uh, it was only natural, I think, to do it with Emily. Uh, she and I had pretty great chemistry to begin with, uh, as writers, which is pretty good. Uh, and so I was enthusiastic about trying to start something new there and, also use it as a way to kind of, you know, introduce what we do as, as writers on ESPN.com to the audience. I mean, I, I think podcasts are amazing ways to learn more about the personalities that you read. I think a lot of people, you know, know more about me through podcasts than they ever knew through my writing. And with coming in and trying to do things a little bit differently for ESPN as far as hockey coverage, I also felt like having us both on there would be a great sort of advertisement uh, to uh, the vibe and, and, and the coverage that we were looking to provide um, on the writing side. Emily, who do you think uh, is the audience for this podcast? Who do you think is listening to you? 
You know, I think about that a lot because I think about what our audience is for ESPN NHL coverage, and we're obviously aware of the criticism that ESPN doesn't cover hockey. Uh, we do cover hockey very well. We just don't have the rights. Um, so what we try to do, and I know this is a long-winded way to get your answer, is um, attract the diehard hockey fans, but also maybe attract casual hockey fans or, or people who just like pop culture and sports and might want to have a cool watercolor conversation about, oh, my God, those Carolina Hurricanes have that crazy uh, post-game celebration. So I like to believe that our audience is anyone who has ever tuned into a hockey game. How's that? That's good. Uh, <laughs> uh, Greg, um, I, I know your ESPN overlords are not going to allow you to release the actual download, so I, I will respect that. Uh, you know, Shout out to Chris LaPlaca, Jimmy Pitaro. I hope, hope you guys are well. Um, but I do want to ask you this. Um, have you found, given that you've been in the podcast space, both independently and now ESPN, um, what, what, what do you think the ceiling is for a hockey podcast? I mean, are we talking, you know, 100,000, 50,000 is sort of a ceiling compared to these football podcasts, which get crazy numbers? Or is it possible if you hit it right, you can have this, you know, mega hit where, you know, quarter million people or something like that could listen to a podcast? I don't think, I mean, I think a lot of it is, is sort of contingent on two things. It's contingent on the uh, buzz that a guest might get. I know that when we've had guests, not only on ESPN and ice, but also on, on puck soup that created a lot of buzz and interest. Um, they, they popped really big. And, and to be honest with you, I'm not as, as, as in the words of Richard Deitch, as a front-facing talent, uh, <laughs> I am not well played. I am not someone who pays too much attention to the numbers on a weekly basis. Um, we've I've been lucky to have people that have helped me sell advertising for shows and stuff. So I think I'd be more obsessed with the numbers if if that wasn't the case. But I can hmm. tell you that from what I know, you know, it's contingent on the guests, but then it's also contingent on the time of year. I, I think the biggest numbers that we ever had for Puck Soup, for example were um, right at the beginning of the playoffs and then right at the beginning of the season. Um, and then they kind of level out after that. And, uh, and, and, some, and much like the TV ratings for the Stanley Cup playoffs, uh, at times can get uh, lower as the playoffs go on, which is kind of a, a nutty, nutty thing about hockey. Interesting. Can you tell me like what you topped out at for Puck Soup, which obviously is an independent and something that you guys uh, do on Patreon. It's clearly a labor of love. What, what, uh, you know, or your average audience. What what what's sort of like a number, a realistic number for that kind of podcast? The numbers that we had last year at times, I think, were between maybe like, on average, and this is including the summer, like between you know seventy and ninety thousand. I think. Wow, good uh, numbers. It can go above that um, uh, at times, depending on the guests. Like it, it's it's a pretty popular podcast, and like you mentioned, the, the interesting thing about that one is the Patreon which was something that I wanted to try uh, just to see if it could work. And, you know, we, we threw it up there last year, five bucks a month gets you six bonus things, uh, four mailbags and two bonus podcasts. And we've had um, well over 1600 people subscribe to it, which is great. And, and so I, I, it's an interesting model for what we do. And, uh, and while I think the free show is still the bread and butter when it comes to advertising and things like that, um, the Patreon certainly, not only from a, a revenue perspective, but also from, you know, knowing that you have this hardcore base of fans that you can, you know, use to find out how to improve the show or, or to build, you know, live shows around has been a real benefit to us. 
Yeah, that's tremendous. Great numbers there. Um, Emily, take the listeners through specifically how the podcast gets put together. A lot of times I would guess that you and Greg are not in the same city. So there's a little bit of a logistical play here. How does it work? Yeah, we're rarely in the same city. Uh, there's <laughs> the only times we've ever done it together was maybe at like the board of governor meetings uh, when we're there in Georgia or during the Stanley Cup finals when we're finally together in the playoffs. But uh, I'm very lucky. I live in Chicago and they gave me office space in the ESPN Chicago radio office. Uh, and the guys here are awesome. Shout out to Randy Merkin, who always get me a studio and uh, go, as I frantically say, I have no idea why you can't hear my mics. And they're like, well, just turn on the mic box button. Um, so other than that, uh, that's a little bit of inside uh, baseball there. Uh, yeah, so I uh, connect here to Bristol. And meanwhile, Greg used to live in New York. He recently relocated to the Bay Area, but he has a kit that I believe he has at home and he uh, tunes it up. Uh, Greg and I, you know, either the night before day of just kind of slack each other really quickly of what topics are. But usually Greg sets the agenda and I trust him because I know that he is the pulse of what hockey fans are talking about. Uh, usually one or two of us will secure a guest. So you like to get one person who's either a coach, uh, um, a player or a newsmaker. And then a lot of times we'll get a writer or, or somebody talking about a team uh, that's kind of been making headlines and uh, we'll roll from there. And it, it usually is pretty seamless. Uh, you know, rarely we record in order. Sometimes it's it's kind of conjumbled of the order that we do things. But uh, our producer, like I mentioned, does a great job and somehow gets that thing up in a couple hours. Greg, is your producer um, based in Bristol? And is your producer, let's say, specifically assigned to you guys? Or would this be a producer who's sort of part of the ESPN audio unit who produces a lot of, uh, a lot of podcasts for ESPN? Yeah, we've had two, um, and, and both times they've been guys that have done multiple gigs at ESPN, which I think is just the nature of the beast. But yeah, the base in Bristol, and the, the thing I have is a codex box, which I've actually now used for three different podcasts. The first one I ever did, Puck Daddy Radio with Rob Pizzo, and then the one with Merrick, and now uh, ESPN on Ice. And it basically dials into an IP address, and, and the audio quality, depending on you know, how good the internet is wherever you are is, is pretty good. And, and, and it allows me to plug in in the press box of an arena. It allows me to plug in at home. Um, and it's, it's really been a huge benefit. The one other thing that the trick of the trade type thing that Emily and I do um, that might help people that do podcasts remotely is um, we FaceTime each other during the show. And so oh. when we have a guest on the phone, uh, we're able to kind of see each other and, and point at each other and, and know who's supposed to ask what questions when and things like that. And I think it, it really, really, from the start of the show, helped us develop a lot more chemistry despite not being in the same room together. No, that's genius. I like that. Have you guys ever, um, and I apologize for not knowing this, but has anyone ever talked to you about doing a video podcast? Like, has it ever come up where, um, uh, you know, we'll see your face, Greg, we'll see your face, Emily, we'll see the guest's face if they can do it. And it's both an audio and video play. Not as of yet, um, but I think that might be part of a logistic challenge. But also the challenge is that I have a really large head and I find myself <laughs> not wanting to be on like a webcam if I can avoid it. It's, it's, it's bulbous. It's, it's, it's too much. Uh, and, and there's no angle that makes it look better. <laughs> Yeah, that's where you need uh, great makeup people and uh, you know geniuses on the camera who can uh, shrink you. Um, Emily, one of the uh, and I'll Greg, you should weigh in after Emily, obviously, because you have unique insight from having worked for other podcasts. But you know, one of the advantage, Emily, which strikes me for working at ESPN, of course, is you have this marketing machine 
behind you, and you're also part of a podcast network. Um, so when you and Greg sort of talk about how do you grow the podcast, uh, what do you talk about, and how can ESPN be an asset here given its uh, you know sort of marketing might? Yeah, you know, even though we are part of ESPN, I think sometimes just being in hockey, we feel a little bit more in the niche community. Like I said, we don't have the rights, but that said, they've been incredibly supportive. And, you know, we have somebody who oversees us. Um, she's involved in a lot of ESPN radio and, and all the other podcasts and, and talks to us about how we can grow and things like that. That's Louise Cornetta. Um, hmm. Things that I'd love to do and our goals and aspiration to grow. Um you know, I'd love to have a live show. I'd love to have a meetup uh, sometime during the Stanley Cup playoffs where Greg and I meet fans in the concourse, give out ESPN on ice stickers, answer questions. Maybe uh, we do a rant line at the end of every episode. Maybe we live record some rants from uh, people <laughs> two intermissions in who've had a couple beers and, you know, let's just see where that goes. Um, they've been great about, you know, anytime we have TV appearances to let them know so that they can plug, you know, Emily Kaplan, not just NHL reporter, but host ESPN on ice. Uh, which is great because I think that type of awareness is uh, really beneficial uh, for someone like us. Greg? Yeah, you know, I, I think, you know, when when Emily and I both came aboard um, <clears throat> two years ago, around about that time, it, the world's changed a lot since then because there's NHL games on ESPN+, Plus, uh, the In the Crease show with Linda Cohen, the highlight show is on every night, either her or Bouchergrass, and like, the the sort of you know that space that that hockey now has with the network has made our lives a lot easier insofar as you know getting promotion for our work and placement for our work and and that's spilled over to the podcast like we have Linda Cohen on each week now for a segment um, you know the show is getting promoted on on her show and um, you know I think when we have interviews with high profile guests typically Emily or I will turn them into Q and A's that will then run on the site and, and get promotion if there's a, a game involving uh, the team in question. So it's, it, it's been, it's been easier, I think, to promote the podcast in year two than it was in year one, just because it's been easier to get promotion of hockey stuff uh, now that the games are, are such a prominent part of the SPM plus. Greg, I want to uh, stay with you on this. Um, a couple months ago, I did a piece on podcasts, uh, sports podcasts for the Athletic, and uh, tried to not just talk to like you know the the places that have massive podcast networks, including ESPN, but you know as many independents as I could. And one of the things I found that was just interesting to me is there's really a lot of hockey, you know, independent hockey podcasts that. Um, might focus on women's hockey, might focus like specifically on Canadians women's hockey, might focus on people of color in hockey, might focus on the OHL or the Quebec Junior League. So there's actually a lot of content there. But what I found is that it, it, it does remain sort of like uh, almost like all these kind of like independent little stars, you know, amid a big solar system. And um, and I don't it, it feels like it's very fragmented in a sense that, you know, if you've happened to find these little communities, that's cool. But I don't know how big these little communities are. When you look at the uh, the hockey podcast space, sort of from like uh, top down from, you know, 10,000 feet up, what, what do you see in relation to all this? Well, you know, you use the word fragmented and I don't know if I'd use that word because, you know, one of the one of the things that I always really wanted to do at Puck Daddy um, and continue to do in, in, a, in a smaller way on my Friday column on ESPN 
is to try to make the tent as big as possible for for hockey fans. And and by that I mean like you can have the the people writing about the sort of different corners of 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 hockey players, whether it be women's hockey or or like you said, race related uh, the, the hockey stories. The analytics people, the people that just want to talk about rumors, you know, all these people are are part of the larger hockey community, and that's what kind of makes it special. So I I don't know if it's much fragmented as it is sort of like we're in a huge neighborhood, and some of the bodegas are you know really populated with people every morning, and some are not, and you know, and and I and I think that the fact that they're all there is um, is the great part about it. But as far as the structure of the podcasting community. Like, you know, there's certain ones that I think just have become ingrained in people's rotations. I mean, I'm blessed to have two of them. Merrick and Elliot Friedman, you know, have a juggernaut with 31 Thoughts that Sportsnet's behind. And McKenzie, Bob McKenzie's got a good one where he's just sort of answering questions. And then obviously, those are sort of your, I mean, your 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 more straight-laced talking news ones. Puck Soup is more of a, a comedy one. And then Spit and Chicklets is, is its own sort of animal where it's, that exists too and, and, and serves the Barstool audience. So I feel like there are ones that are sort of like informational. There are ones that are funny. And then you have all these little hatchlings that deal with specific teams or, or specific, specific uh, uh, trends uh, or approaches on how to follow hockey. It's, it's pretty cool, to be honest with you. Emily, you've worked, obviously, covering football for MMQ, the MMQB. And obviously now you're doing hockey at ESPN. And it would strike me for your podcast, given that you're at ESPN and given it's hockey, uh, how have you found in terms of the ability to get guests? Because this would be a guest. I, I would feel like you would have a shot at most of the people you would want on your podcast, perhaps versus if you were covering the NFL, you know, and called up the Patriots and, you know, requested Rob, Rob Gronkowski or something like that. Yeah, no, and Greg alluded to it earlier. Things have been much better in year two than they have been in year one, and just I think part of that is awareness. In year one, I almost looked at us as a startup. You know, we were doing this. We were both new on the job. I was new on the beat. Uh, we were new at podcasting together, and we would get players here and there. Uh, you know, we reached out to a lot of PR guys or agents, but um, this year it just seems like it's pretty – it's much easier. You know, I, I think uh, teams understand our audience, and – one thing that I always find fascinating about hockey media is it's just disproportionately Canadian. Um, you know, you hmm. go to the Board of Governors meetings or you go to GM meetings and there's 30 reporters there and 24 of them are from Canadian outlets. And it's just, it kind of boggles my mind. So um, I think a lot of teams and players know that if they're going to us, uh, we're speaking to an American audience. And let's face it, as, as passionate as Canada is in hockey, uh, you know, Canada as a country is the population size, of, I believe it's smaller than California. Uh, there's a lot of room for growth in American hockey. So, yeah, like we, we really, you know, we reach out and usually it depends on if a team has a game that night. Uh, we usually can't get guys in morning skates, but a lot of times if a team is coming through Chicago, I can get a player, uh, you know, after a practice. Uh, I did that a lot more last year. This year we've done a lot on the phone, but uh, I have found that the ESPN brand does carry a very long way. Greg, how do you think ESPN judges you uh, in terms of this podcast? You've obviously been – in independent for a while. So in that sense, uh, ultimately you're the arbiter of what you think is working content wise, et cetera. But now you work for a big place that has a lot of podcasts. So what have your bosses told you in terms of what they want from you and what their goals are for you guys? Well, I mean, the only thing I, I know for sure is that, you know, they're looking for us to, um, get some, some name guests 
that are obviously going to move the needle and, and also that can be used for other content. But as far as like how we're doing, um, you have to, one, one thing we haven't really talked about is the fact that, that ESPN and ICE took over from the previous NHL podcast that they had there, which I want to say was like NHL Today or something like that. And so if you go on iTunes, there's like a billion reviews, but they're all for different incarnations of the of the show. <laughs> so like, you know, you go on iTunes and you see a review and it's like, I don't like Barry Melrose on this show. And the review is from like 2011 when Barry Melrose used to co-host the show. So we're what I'm to, to get to your point though, what they're looking for is growth. And and I and since Emily and I took over the podcast, um, the numbers have gone up and and continue to go up. And so you know that's the feedback we get. And as long as we keep doing that, I think they're going to be happy about it. Um, but but also you know from a personal perspective, like I want to do a show that I'd be entertained by, and I'm entertained by our by our show. And I also want to do a show that slowly grows uh, a community around it. And, you know, there's, there's a huge one when I did the show with Merrick and with Puck Soup, there's a, there's a specific one of people that are part of that, that fan community. And I see that happening with our show where, you know, people retweet the uh, perfect penmanship uh, uh, syllabus that, uh, that Emily puts out on Twitter in the mornings and that people participate in the rant line and they get excited when we do our bits and stuff. So um, from my own sort of personal measurement, I see the show getting closer to that ideal of, of having a dedicated listenership that's sort of in on the jokes, which is a really important thing for me. I got two more I for you. That, Go ahead, Emily. Yep. Yeah. The one thing I would add, and uh, Greg was talking about in the beginning, is we have seen numbers and they have grown, but we've never uh, been told this is your target. You need to hit this target. You need to uh, yeah. grow by X amount percent. And any number we've seen is because Greg and I are vain and we ask for it and we like to know those things. <laughs> They're not bringing them to us. They really aren't. And we've never heard anything about this is what the show needs to be or else it's going to die or it's going to be extinct or we won't promote it. Uh, and I think that goes across the board. My experience at ESPN, I've never heard that about any of my online articles also. Uh, they just want good content. And as long as people are talking about it and they feel that we're moving the conversation forward and we're contributing to the hockey space, and I believe we're doing all those three things, I believe our bosses are happy. All Did right, two more, uh, Emily. Um, one for you. You you two on this podcast are the only um, uh, duo partnership that I'm talking to. I, I have – you know, Conrad Thompson does work with other partners, as does Sharina Maud, who's coming up. But um, but I only have you two in terms of both doing this at the same time, so I appreciate that. Um, and it leads to a question of what have you learned, Emily, about chemistry on a podcast? And what, what has to exist in order for you to have a successful podcast when it's not just you solo, but it's you sharing the mic with someone else? I think chemistry is so important. And I'm so lucky that the second I met Greg, I, I felt like we had, you know, an instant common ground and, you know, our jokes kind of landed on each other. We had similar sensibilities and we're different and we're very different in the way we write, the way we cover the ho uh, hockey space. Uh, but I believe we complement each other in a really nice way. Um, and I believe our chemistry is growing and I can't speak to how valuable it was to spend some time with him last year in Las Vegas and uh, Washington, D.C., two places where it was very difficult to have a good time, um, but really get to know each other. And I think that kind of helps build our chemistry. And the longer and longer we do this, I think the better we'll be, the better we know each other, the more inside jokes we have, the more inside jokes we have with our listeners. And uh, really, I think when people want to listen to the podcast, they want to feel comfortable. And, and I hope that we, if they're listening to us, they feel like they're just hanging out with me and Gray at the bar, uh, just talking shop. 
Greg, I love that your Wikipedia page still calls you a radio personality. It's fantastic, actually, <laughs> as I'm looking at this right now. Um, yeah, the irony being, I don't think I've ever had a, had a real radio show. I think I've just been on podcast. <laughs> you just seem like a radio personality. Yeah. <laughs> the, uh, the last one for me, Greg, for you, and by the way, you guys, if there's anything you want to add that I didn't ask you, please do. But uh, Greg, and again, this is just my own sort of, you know, five cent dime store analysis. But I feel like the hockey podcast space is so rife for growth. Uh, there's uh, there's there's certainly more potential for other podcasts to come in. I feel like you probably haven't even hit potentially all your audience out there. Uh, do you feel the same way? I mean, it, it, the NBA is an incredible podcast space. And again, I think a great podcast can still come in today, but it really does feel served, like in terms of every possible thing you could think of. I feel like there's an NBA podcast for, but I don't feel the same way with the NHL. I feel like there's so much uh, space yet to go. What do you think? I agree. I will also say that I thank you for uh, asking Emily and I uh, specific questions on the on this on this segment because if there there is one thing i've learned as a podcast partner with emily is that the only thing i love more than the sound of my voice is what it's saying and can tend to talk too much and so that's been the lesson that i've learned not only uh in doing this podcast but maybe in life as far as the podcast space goes i think the one you mentioned conrad thompson who and i'm a huge conrad thompson fan and, uh, and and uh, I think what he's done is incredible. And I think that's sort of the place where it needs to go now. Like there's a lot of very much in the moment podcasts, you know, that cover the news of the day and, and look forward to the playoffs and stuff. What I feel is sort of the untapped territory is nostalgia, is um, specific runs of podcasts on subjects, kind of the Andrew James Miller type stuff. Like that's the part of the hockey podcast sphere that to me has not really developed at all. Um, Craig Custins, your colleague at The Athletic, did a run of, of podcasts with coaches that was pretty interesting um, that I think was sort of a notebook done from the book, the book he wrote. But that's really the only time I think that someone's made a real effort to develop that kind of you know limited series podcast. And, and to me, that's sort of the next logical step for the hockey podcast world. And I think that they would do really, really well, much like uh, professional wrestling, uh, nostalgia sells. I think if you if you ask who the five most popular players in hockey are, Yamir Yager would probably still be in the top five, and he ain't even playing here anymore. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I think there's room for growth there. That's interesting. I like that idea, and I, th I hope maybe somebody listens to this and swipes that. Um, all right, Emily Kaplan and Greg Wyshynski are the co-hosts of ESPN on Ice with Wyshynski and Kaplan. Greg Wyshynski also co-hosts Puck Soup with Ryan Lambert, and down goes Brown. Um, if you're a hockey fan, you know both of uh, my guests here. But if you're not, just head over to ESPN's website and go on their hockey coverage, and you will see them both. They're also very prominent on Twitter as well, so we recommend them as follows. Uh, Emily and Greg, I wish you guys nothing but success with the podcast uh, as well as other endeavors. And thank you so much today for joining us on uh, the podcast edition of the Sports Media Podcast. My pleasure. Thank you. All right, and now we bring in Stephen Bennett, who I said at the top uh, suggested this idea to me, and I really appreciate him doing that because I, I think it's a really good one. He is the host of the Sportscasters podcast, which focuses on sports, sports media, and the way sports and the sports media intertwine in the world around us. He is based in Buffalo, New York. Stephen Bennett, welcome to the Sports Media Podcast. 
Oh, thank you. I'm so pumped. I love it. All right. So we're asking this of all our podcasters today. How would you describe your podcast to someone who has never listened to it? Well, I would just say that I uh, do a podcast that usually features people from the sports media, but I also like to include people in music and movies and television if I can. And I do 20 to 45 minute interviews, sometimes longer, sometimes shorter with them about stories they've covered, games they've covered, uh, if it's a movie or a book they're working on or something like that. It's kind of a hang. I like to I like to record a hang and just kind of talk to the guests about whatever interests me. How long have you done the podcast? When did it start? It started in 2011, the day after the national championship game, Oregon-Auburn, Cam Newton year. All right, Stephen, you represent uh, the independent podcaster, a truly independent podcaster yeah. to me on this this particular podcast. So uh, you're not working for a big uh, podcast network. I imagine you're not making a ton of money on this. So why do you do it? Well, the best story is, is that in 2006, I started my career. I was working in the Buffalo Public Schools and just kind of going along as a social worker slash teacher in the schools. I actually was working for the school that I went to in elementary school. And then my Crohn's disease got to the point where I wasn't going to be able to work for a while, maybe a long time, maybe a short time. Uh, but I needed something to do at home to kind of take my energy and to distract me from kind of losing my career because of my health. How many, um, I, I guess before I even say that, but has that, has it done it? Has the podcast, uh, uh, helped in terms of giving you, uh, uh, a place to show your creativity, giving a place to even get away from the Crohn's disease for a couple hours? Yeah, mostly it definitely has accomplished that. But the problem has been that, that in other times when my Crohn's has flared and it's taken me away from the podcast, it's kind of added a layer of guilt in some degree to my life. Like, oh man, I'm not doing the show because of this right now. And so it, it could be a double-edged sword in some ways, but for the most part, no, it, it's been a labor of love and I love doing it. And that's why I've done it for so long. But, uh, yeah. All right. So let's, so let's, let's, uh, take listeners inside a little bit of sort of the metrics, uh, that you get. Sure. Um, Roughly, how many downloads do you get an episode? It can be anywhere from a thousand to maybe six thousand, and then I've had a couple super ones, like where they've gotten coverage that have done five, almost six figures. I had one break, kind of a huge break, where I had scheduled an interview with Duff McKagan from Guns N' Roses. Yeah. He was writing a column for. ESPN.com at the time. And I thought it'd be cool to talk to a guy who was in Guns N' Roses. So I reached out to ESPN, see if he would be interested, and he was. They scheduled an interview with me on like a Tuesday at 9 a.m. That morning, maybe 7 a.m., the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame announced that Guns N' Roses was going to be in that year's class. <laughs> so as far as I know, I did the first interview with anyone who was in Guns N' Roses after that announcement. And back at that time, Axel wasn't with them, so there was a lot of buzz, you know. Will Axel sing with them? And I was able to ask those questions and get that out and get to the Guns N' Roses and the rock world 
and that one kind of blew up. So that was like an outlier. But usually I'm doing one to one thousand to six thousand. Wow, that's a that's a that Duff McKing the one is pretty cool. Um, yeah, Duff. <laughs> uh, how much uh, time each week does it take you to do the podcast, from booking the guests to doing the interview to editing to putting it out? Well, booking the guests is the, obviously the most tricky part, but it's mostly just emails and texts and phone calls. You know, so maybe you spend an hour total doing all that. Maybe even less than that, probably less than that. Then each interview takes, you know, 20 to 60 minutes, depending. Maybe you spend an hour editing and posting it and writing the recap. I mean, I literally do every single part of the podcast myself. There's nobody else here. So anything that's written or said or promoted, I have to do all that myself. So, you know, it could take anywhere from four to eight hours a week. Who, um, who do you think your audience is? Uh, and maybe you actually know who your audience is, but I'm asking a general question. Who do you think your audience is? Well, I think that gets into, if you were to ask me, like, my strengths and my weaknesses, that kind of gets into my weaknesses. The is kind of understanding audience and being able to promote to them directly. I haven't been great at that, and I think that that's done to the growth of it a little bit. But, I mean, I think if you're going to enjoy this, you have to – like sports to some degree, for sure. Uh, gender, I would You know, again, this is a weakness for me. I, I don't know. I, I struggle with this. Who is my audience? The people who email me, the people who reach out, they tend to be males 30 to 50. Those are who and I hear from the most. Where does it, um, where does it live? Uh, give me all the places where people can get it. Yeah, I host it on SoundCloud. That's kind of like my, my feed. And then, of course, it's on Apple and Stitcher and all the podcatchers, things like that. Hmm. Uh, all right, a couple more here. Um, what? How, how – these are twofold. One, how do you think the podcast yeah. has grown? And then the second part is um, how can you grow it from where it is now? Well, that's something that – Again, I, sh- I struggle the most with. I think the growth has been slow, and it and it's had peaks and valleys. You know, of course, in 2013 when we had our viral moment together with the pictures, was yeah. certainly a moment of growth. Uh, so there's been peaks and valleys like that. You know, but then if you know, I get sick. Like in October, I was out for a couple weeks. I was in the hospital. And then you don't put a show out for a few weeks. So then when you come back, it's almost like you're not completely starting over again, but you're back on the bottom, the middle of the mountain and trying to work your way back up. So growth has been slow. And, you know, one thing I know that I need to do to grow is to be ballsier about asking for favors. I've made a lot of great contacts doing this, uh, but I'm afraid to ever ask them anything, you know, and I know there's people out there that could help me and would help me, but I, I, I kind of feel like it would be unprofessional to ask them or, you know, even pitching this idea to you took me, you know, three months to, to grow up the courage to do it because I just felt like, you know, oh, maybe am I doing something that's self-promoting? Is it unprofessional? Is it rude to Richard to say that to him? You know, so I know that's something I got to get better at is being willing to kind of put the show ahead of my Pride, maybe, if that's the right word. I'm not sure, but, you know, that's somewhere where I'm weak. Yeah, well, quite the, 
quite the opposite, I would say. I mean, I appreciate the idea, and you should, uh, you know, you have good ideas like this. Uh, you know, uh, sh- either share them with the world or, or, or try to figure out how to do it for your podcast. Do you have a favorite podcast that you've done? A particular episode that you think really reflects what your podcast is all about? You know, sometimes I don't know if it's episodes as much as it's interviews. Uh, I I had a really great interview with S.L. Price one time that I'm proud of. Uh, this is kind of a cool story. I Jane Jane Levy is kind of the first lady of the sportscasters, as I like to call her. Uh, she's a good friend, and she comes on a lot. And uh, we talk. We just talk about whatever, her books, baseball, whatever's going on. And I was on this message board one time reading about Jane. There was a thread about her, and it said uh, – Someone said, you know, the frustrating thing is whenever Jane's on a podcast, all they talk to her about is being a woman in sports. And then the next thing was, well, actually on the sportscasters, they never really talk about that. And part of me was proud of it. And then part of me was paranoid that I wasn't asking the right questions. Why is everyone else doing this thing and I'm not doing it? Uh, And then the next time Jane was on, we kind of talked about that. Should I be asking you those things? And it created a pretty interesting thing. Uh, when Jeff Perlman comes on, we have fun. Whenever you come on, we have fun. We bust balls and, and really enjoy enjoy that. So the interviews are fun. And then one other thing is my show ends with a segment called One Last Thing. And for a while, I would treat it as a way to just kind of talk about a sports thing or whatever. But then the last seven months or so, I decided that I could use that time to let people who listen to the show get to know me more. And I've been taking a lot of risks and being more personal with that. And uh, when I was in the hospital this last time in October, the first episode after, I decided I was going to talk about how that hospital visit affected my daughter, who's two and a half years old. And I got really personal and really open. And I got a ton of emails from people just kind of appreciating that and kind of a few people who had had similar circumstances with their health and, and how it affected their family kind of thanking me. So I've been proud of that. I've been trying to use that that segment uh, to, to, like I said, put more of my personality in my life and be more open. Uh, my brother Greg's actually helped me a lot with that. So um, I don't know if I answered the question very well, but uh, yeah, there's a lot I'm proud of and really enjoy. But it's, it's more about the guests, the people that you get to know and, and you really get to have fun with. You know, I yeah, might no, have that's... John Feinstein on, but I spent 20 minutes nervous that first time. But if he came out a third time, by then we're having a lot of fun. So I think those are the ones I think are the best. No, that's a great that's a great answer. And uh, just so people know, S.L. Price, a senior writer for Sports Illustrated, Jane Levy, uh, very uh, well-known, um, best-selling author, uh, f- uh, at least for probably the purposes of this podcast, you, you may have read her biography of Sandy Koufax. She also published um, a... Yeah, bio on Mickey Mantle, last boy, Mickey Mantle on the end of American childhood, and the babe, right, the big fella, Babe Ruth, in the world he created also. Yeah, a uh, um, former Washington Post writer. I mean, one of the sort of iconic writers in, in sports of the last, uh, uh, of her generation. Um, Steve, what are your long-term goals for this podcast? And you that's intentionally open-ended in terms of what you hope content-wise and what you hope and how and how long you hope it continues? Well, I don't have any plans to stop. I, I hope to do it indefinitely. As long as I enjoy it, I'm going to keep doing it. And right now, I really enjoy it. 
my goals, I want to keep booking. I think the number one thing I'm good at is booking. I think that for someone who's an independent, if you look at my guest list over the years, to have people like Artie Lang and the late great Frank DeFord and to be able to have created relationships with people like Jeff Perlman, like I said, I think that's an incredible accomplishment. I've had the Monday Night Football play-by-play announcer on for seven straight years. I've had Joe Buck on several times. He's a friend of the program. So I want to keep growing those relationships, seeing where I can go with booking. How big can I get? You know, who's the biggest guest I can get? When it's all said and done, who will be that biggest guest? I want to keep trying to push that. But I think that is something I'm good at. I talked about a lot of my weaknesses. I think booking is one of my strengths. So I want to keep doing that. And like I said about one last thing, I want to keep giving the audience that do listen a glimpse into what my life is like for that just small period at the end. This way, if they're not interested, the show's basically over by then. And then if they are, they can spend that last 10 minutes um, getting to know who I am a little bit more. Like I said, the response has been good on that, which I was surprised at first. But I want to keep pushing the limits and I want to keep seeing, I want to grow the audience because I do think I do good work. I am proud of it. So I want more people to hear it, obviously. That is a weakness. I'm going to keep trying to get better at that. Uh, But, yeah, I just want to keep pushing, keep trying to see how far can this little engine that could go down the track, I guess. Is there anything you want to add uh, as uh, as we close out your segment? Well, I'm surprised you didn't ask me about booking the show a little bit, um, just because, and, and I'm curious as that when I listen back, if it comes up, because I think that when I started in 2011, the challenge was when you connect with a Peter King, he would say to you, what do you want to do? What do you want me to come on? What's a podcast? And now in 2019, the challenge is everyone has a podcast and everyone's booking guests. And uh, I think that that's a really interesting part of the podcast cast landscape in 2019. Uh, booking, getting people on. It's easy when they're promoting, but they're everywhere. Uh, you know, so I think that that's really interesting. And I'll be interested to hear with whoever else you have on how, how they fall on it. But I don't know. And, what and about I- you? How do you feel about well, here, there's the, re, the I'm going to give you a compliment here because the the fact is, for me, booking has not been hard. I, when I started my podcast, I was at Sports Illustrated, and the podcast right. that I do do is sort of what I cover. So I know a lot of the people and a lot of the sort of the how the structure of the business works. So, quite frankly, the to me, booking sports media is not difficult at all. I had massive advantages. What was tricky is whenever I would leave sports media and to try to get people. So I had to sort of develop a relationship with somebody like Paul Heyman or Renee Young or, you know, how to develop a relationship with, let's say, if I've had a political reporter on. But, you know, what you've done is immeasurably harder than what I've done is because you didn't have the mechanism that I had having worked at a, you know, a very famous place. So what your booking is much harder than mine because even if you don't know me, you probably have, you probably at the time would have heard of the place I worked for. And so um, right. that was an advantage. And now when I'm doing this, you know, uh, people have either know the podcast or they've heard of The Athletic or they've heard of Sports Illustrated. So, you know, in the sports media world, it's it's honestly only for me usually about can we can we figure out the schedule and, you know, is somebody willing to come on or will their 
outlet not let them come on. You you've had it much harder, and uh, given the names that you've had in your podcast, that that's really impressive because you've had to create relationships just basically saying, "Hey, I'm this independent podcaster in Buffalo, and um, I want you to come on my podcast, even though you don't know who I am." So um, so I give you a lot of kudos. That that's that was that is not easy to do, but you've been able. Um, you've been able to do that. All right, let's give people, again, the information as to where they can listen to uh, Steve's podcast. Steve is the host of the Sports Co- Sportscasters podcast. Um, you can basically uh, find that on Apple Podcast and Stitcher and SoundCloud. He probably gets a lot of um, uh, his, uh, at least maybe, interest from his uh, Twitter account. And that's, uh, let me make sure I have this right, Steve. It's yeah, Richard sports- won't follow me, though. No, that's probably true. It's sports, S-P-O-R-T. Yeah, I already have enough Buffalo. Fo- I'm already following too many Buffalo people. It's all Harrington oh, all the man. time. Sports underscore C-A-S-T-E-R-S. Is that right? That's the handle? That is right. Yeah, at sports underscore casters. Hey, I got to ask you a quick question. Are you All are right, you Steve. Stop. You're, Steve, you're, you're already trying to, take the po- you're trying to take the podcast over, but go ahead. <laughs> I can't ask one question? Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. You can ask, of course. All right. I want to know. From a UB guy, the Mr. UB on the internet. Are you pumped about you got the men and women in the tournament? And the men can go places. How far how far are the UB men in your bracket? Uh I have them going past Texas Tech and then I think maybe losing to so Michigan. I have it. Yeah, I think. Although I could see Texas Tech beating them too. I it it's again, as somebody who went to school there, you know, when they you know, in the nineties when basically this kind of stuff seemed inconceivable. Um, it's amazing. It is amazing that the University of Buffalo has two teams in the NCAA tournament and one team <laughs> seated sixth. I mean, it it makes my head spin. So yeah, I think regardless of what happens, it's an incredible achievement. I am sure Nate Oates and that group want to at least win their opening round game against St. John's or Arizona State. But you get to the second round of the tournament as a mid-major, you are, in my opinion, a massive success story. And so they've they've already won and they've already changed the that program forever. And the women women have a great coach, and it does not surprise me at all. And I've always thought that that program was kind of a sleeper or a hidden gem. And it's uh, uh, it's really become a good basketball school, Steve. As you know, living there, it's it's very exciting. And the best thing is, is this time in the tournament, their jersey say Buffalo, not New York. Thank God. Yeah, it's thank thank God. All right, Stephen Bennett, thank you for the idea. Thank you for uh, thank you you for your work, and uh, and hopefully uh, you get some additional follows out of this uh, for sure. Check out Stephen Bennett's podcast, the Sportscaster. Steve, thanks for joining us on the Sports Media Podcast. Thanks, man. All right, back in the studio. I know it's been a long podcast, so I'll make it quick. But my thanks to. uh, to all my guests who are really, really, uh, really interesting. And I appreciate them coming on and talking about what is clearly a passion project for them. And that's these podcasts. And in the case of a couple of them, um, you know, they're probably making uh, a nice healthy income from this, uh, uh, on the side as well. So really interesting stuff. And I thank Conrad, Emily, Greg, Shireen, and Steven for coming on. Um, if you like this kind of content, and our recent podcasts uh, include Michael Kay, the uh, voice of the Yankees and uh, ESPN Radio in New York, talking about his career in Mike Francesa, NFL Network analyst Daniel Jeremiah. We had a couple of roundtables with John O'Rand and Chad Finn. 
Ian Eagle and Sarah Kustak, the uh, great team from the Nets, Kevin Harlan, Laura Rutledge, and then you could just go down the list. Head to the Sports Media with Richard Deitch page. Uh, please uh, leave us a review and leave us a rating. That is how this uh, podcast stays. You can get these podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Radio.com. Check all of that out. All right, for Cadence 13, for my excellent producer, Terrence Malagallon, this is Richard Deitch. We'll see you again on the Sports Media Podcast.